Are you looking for a good story? I'm Greg Lefebvre, an artist and storyteller, and The Compulsive Storyteller is a podcast of short personal true stories that prove that truth can be stranger than fiction. I tell insider stories from my art career, personal life, and many tales from the wild streets of New York City in five to 20 minute long episodes. My stories are comic, tragic, or just plain weird. I'm always getting into a jam, and sometimes I get myself out again. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, it's Greg, and today we're going to play something from another podcast we think you'll love. Enjoy this episode from How to Be Human. Hi, I'm Anna Tonk. Welcome to How to Be Human, a podcast that explores the common and often confusing themes of humanness. Hello, how is everybody? I know when I ask these questions, you're not going to respond. And yet I, you know, what would I do if someone did answer? You know, I would lose my mind. Definitely think that not that my apartment was haunted, but just I myself was haunted. (laughs) Well, I'm very excited today. I feel like someone who's been a bit of uh, a character in the how to be human world, which I hope that doesn't make me sound like the biggest dick alive saying, but someone who has been discussed a lot on the pod, our friend Kate, and then my writing teacher, Kate. Today, our guest is Kate Divide. And she really has taught me so much. She really has like, yes, specifically about writing, but it's been really influential for me in other areas of my life. And, you know, I always sort of yell at her once a class that she's really helped me organize my brain, but I just kind of find her level headed approach to creating things, whether it's what she does in writing classes or it's what she does with Mood Bar, her website where she teaches bar and Pilates and also some writing classes there. Um, I just find it really refreshing. And I like that she's sort of like no nonsense, but very warm and accessible as a person, which is like, I think tricky, you know, I think she's doing a lot of stuff that is kind of cool. So I hope you enjoy episode 69. She gets to be a sexy number. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm just 12 years old today and I apologize, but we have episode 69 today with Kate Devine. Okay, I feel like today's guest has been mentioned in many, many episodes. I feel like is episode mentioned famous, but started as Nina's friend, then got brought into my world, and then she became my writing teacher. So today's guest is the very lovely Kate Devine. So would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you so much, Anna. My name is Kate Devine. I'm really happy to be here talking on the pod after, yes, being mentioned on the pod a few different (laughs) times as the bar teacher and the writing teacher and the friend, (laughs) many different roles. So yeah, I'm a writer. I'm a teacher. I teach both writing, creative writing and movement, uh, specifically bar and Pilates. 
I live in Catskill, New York, and I've been in the Hudson Valley for about five years. I really enjoy living there. And yeah, I guess what else do I do? I write. I host a works in progress reading night with another friend of mine who's also a writer. That happens seasonally in the Hudson Valley, and that's a really nice showcase for all of the people who I have in my life who are writers or musicians, people who are always working on their craft, their things, and it's a showcase for that which is still in progress. So that's what I've been really excited about lately. Yeah, it's it's kind of my favorite night of the season. <laughs> I'm so happy that you're here today because you're someone who I think in this really calm, grounded, chill way explores like big things. <laughs> and you're so like low key about it, you know, for someone who's very like in the mix. And obviously writing comes with like a lot of stereotypes and a lot of, you know, I think performance in a way. Oh, yeah. And you're you don't really do any of it. You sort <laughs> of have opted out, but you I think doubled down in your love of craft, you know, in having taken classes with you. That's something that um I always walk away with is both your knowledge about craft and your appreciation for it that like I think is cool. It makes you be very egalitarian. Like I feel like the way you kind of will talk about I think our patron saint of our writing group is Melissa Fibos. I'm gonna like <laughs> yeah. throw that out there. I think they I think the other gals would agree. Totally. I just feel like every time someone asks me a question, I'm like, Well, Melissa Fibos has already written like a <laughs> perfect essay about this. <laughs> Let me just defer. Um, yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I think like you regard everyone's work kind of like regardless of, I think you do this, you're really remarkable at like, regardless of whether or not you're into it, you regard everybody the same way, which I think is really difficult, but also like to your strength of being a teacher. It's like a lot of the things that we d discuss and go over in class. And I swear that this isn't just like a long episode to promo Kate's class, because guess what? I don't necessarily want y'all to take it. So I have a space. <laughs> JK, JK. I get to graduate into the new one. Maybe once you take one of Kate's classes, y'all can join us. But a lot of the things we talk about in class and have learned about aren't new to me. You know, like these aren't new ideas. But something about looking at it through the lens purely from, from writing has been really illuminating and I was curious because I think you stay a bit of an enigma and you know you're a bit of a mysterious gal but you've taught me a lot about personal narrative and how does that work for you I started thinking a lot lately about the difference between like personal narrative and getting clear on what your your narrative is and the value of it and the strength in it versus a lot of the shit we're seeing on social media. And if what I'm seeing on social media makes me nuts, how do you feel about it? Do you feel like people are misunderstanding what personal narrative is all the time? I I have this, this I, long story short, I do. I wish everyone could see the faces you're making. Because <laughs> I'm like, she's being, she's thinking because she's trying to be thoughtful, but also is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. I've I've also been told that I'm a very expressive person. It all comes <laughs> through in my yeah face. Yeah, I talk about this. I was actually just having a conversation with my very good friend, who's also uh, a creative nonfiction writer, just yesterday about this very topic. So much of what we read every day on social media is a variety of things. It's people trying to express themselves. It's people trying to share 
a slice of their life really quickly, not something that has usually been digested and turned over and crafted into something. It's also a lot of like advertisements, you know, like even, you know, this is just, we're living in a challenging time where it's a strange time because so much of what we, we have to make names for ourselves, I suppose, make brands for ourselves, I suppose. And when I write, I've been doing a lot of writing lately for my online studio, my virtual studio, Mood Bar, which is really funny that I didn't even mention it in my introduction. <laughs> we will get there. And don't worry, all of it will be tagged. So okay, there is a place that, yeah, Kate's got her hands in a couple different, you know, pots, but yeah. Uh, yeah, has a whole online Pilates Bar Studio Mood Bar that, and I think you do some of your there's maybe some writing stuff in that as well. There is. I have a whole yeah. uh, group of classes that are move and write, but we'll talk about that later. But so much of the writing that I do for Mood Bar is marketing writing. And because I'm a creative writer and I believe in the power of personal narrative, and I also, my whole studio is founded on this idea of like, movement for self-expression and movement as a prerequisite to creative practice. And I've always had more generative writing times after I move my body, whether it's going for a run or doing Pilates or just going for a walk, really anything. But I've been really thinking lately about my personal essays, which are very different from what you'll read on my website or what you'll read on my social media. I try to write all of those things with just as much craft, I suppose, or just as much intention and thoughtfulness, really, as I do with my the work that I submit to magazines and the work that hangs out on my hard drive for years and years. But it's different. It serves a different purpose. And there's a lot out there that's doing both, I think. I, I don't think that all of the writing out there that's doing both is doing a very good job at doing both, but it does exist. I think what really makes a difference between so much of we read of what we read on the internet and kind of like personal narrative like creative nonfiction essay writing is just purpose and whether it's expression for expression's sake whether it's art whether it's storytelling or whether it's marketing yeah i mean i'm not trying to just be critical towards mm-hmm. people i'm trying to understand what the fuck we're doing right now as a society and that so many people I think kind of get chalked up as artists or whatever and now everybody has a sub stack which listen I'm pro this I think everybody should have a voice I think everyone should be making things I'm I'm pro this but it's frustrating to me that we're ignoring that these things have like standards and form and things like that and nothing drives me more crazy when I get a substack from someone and there it's usually what I would classify as it's less of a personal essay and it's more of a diary entry, yeah. which comes up in our writing class all the time. Yeah. And when we, we, when we keep asking Kate every week, what is the difference? And she goes form, you know, oh. and I think that we've gotten into this phase in our society that anything that's slightly confessional gets chalked up as being art or gets chalked up to being personal essay or something. 
And I don't know that it is. Mm-hmm. And it drives me crazy when I get a, somebody's Substack or newsletter or even see an Instagram post. And it's something that's like very personal, very confessional, and then immediately buttoned with like, why I should sign up for something. Totally. Yeah. I think I, that is like a perfect example. Like that's really good copywriting, you know, like that's, that's like, <laughs> it, but it's also I, I like for, for me, and I don't know that I'm, I have no idea where I fall. I don't know if this is what most people are doing or if I'm um, the minority and this works, you know, for me, it, it immediately invalidates everything you said, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm, I immediately am like, I don't know that I believe this. It's all very tidy if you're trying to sell something and I feel manipulated, Mm -hmm. you know, I also think it's like really bizarre that one of our marketing techniques we've decided to try is just like trauma. (laughs) Like what if I just say I'm suffering and see if somebody will buy something from me? I'm like, what are we doing? This is where capitalism has backed us into a corner. Like what are we doing? You know? Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more on that. It makes me sad. I know. It makes me sad too. And like you said in the beginning of everything you just said, I don't want to be just solely critical of those out there doing it because there's also such a reason why people are, I mean, yeah, money is really, really difficult. I'm not the first writer to ever get on a podcast and say that, <laughs> but yeah. And thinking about substacks and and publishing and and how to be a writer and how to publish something that I was that came into my mind as you were speaking is, I mean, I think there, there's many different types of substacks and many different types of blogs. And some people write them as uh, kind of like a, a hand holder for their business, a way to get their, their brand out there, a word out there, a class out there. That's fine and good. There's a lot of substacks that I like, for, for instance, um, Sarah McCall's Substack Lost Art, which is a monthly personal Incredible. essay that comes out. I sent, I gifted it to you uh, yeah. a few months ago. It's so, so good. And it's so good. It's these beautiful personal essays where she writes about um, artists who are kind of like low key, like not haven't really been super recognized, but she writes about their lives and she writes about hers. And that is my favorite thing to get in my inbox because it is a beautiful personal essay that's just brimming with meaning, brimming with sensory details. It's always just so good. So I love that. And when you're doing that kind of writing, to speak from my own personal experience, I don't have a book published. I intend to someday. Um, You will. (laughs) I will. will. I think it's inevitable. That's the other thing. I'm kind of um, proud of myself at this place I've arrived where I'm like, I know I will. I'm not really in much of a rush to, but I will. Uh, But anyway, I have a few essays out in the world. And one of my essays, my favorite piece of my own that's published, uh, was published with a literary magazine called Entropy. That was a really great magazine that published really great work that closed, um, that doesn't exist anymore. So now the link is broken. My favorite essay that I wrote that's out there. And then I have my piece in the cut and a few other pieces that are in other various literary magazines. But um, the Catapult Literary Magazine just closed. They're not publishing anymore and they're not doing writing classes anymore. And I think it's so hard to know. I used to care a lot more about where my work would live. I used to have these publications in mind where I was like, I really want to publish in X, Y, and Z. And the more time that goes on, and maybe this started during the pandemic, and then it especially started when Entropy closed because that had a personal impact on me. Um, And then as all of these other ones close, I'm starting to, I'm 
not starting to, I've been kind of caring less and less about that stuff. But then that also, and I think publications also can be like really gatekeepy, of course, and it's cool to not be gatekeepy. Um, but it kind of brings me to the question of like, I don't know, publishing on your own is different. Self-publishing is like a different beast with Substack than it used to be, I think. it's, And it might be the only way to be sure that your link won't ever be broken or something like that. You know what yeah. I mean? And that makes me a little bit confused, actually. That blurs the lines for me about the whole being a writer, be, having a personal brand. Because if you're published with a literary magazine, people find the magazine and they read it and then they read your thing. But if it's all just you and you have to build your own audience, yeah, you might have to do more marketing writing than you want to. I don't know. I've just, this has been on my mind a lot lately. And it's like- Same. Yeah. I, well, I come from TV in which everyone listening to this is like, we know. Um, <laughs> but guess what? I'm reminding you again. Yeah. And it's I feel similarly in the sense of, you know, when I was coming up and I'm like, I don't know, 100 years older than Kate, but we have a we have we have a bit of an age difference. But when I was coming up too, <laughs> it was very uncool to make your own things, you okay. know, and then it's like I've seen it. You know, I've seen it in my time, but I have seen it in, in my own lifetime of when we started to see with music artists being like, you know what? Fuck a record label. I'm going to yeah. start my own and, you know, putting their stuff out. And then we started to see with social media and like with YouTube, these people yeah. being like, I don't need a network or I don't need, you know, um, these these large entities and you know to control uh my creativity and i think and then i think publishing is one of the last to fall in this yeah. interesting way that i think that i'm like we've known that publishing was was changing we've known since the internet you know magazines newspapers all of this is down in print we know tons of major magazines don't even put print editions out you know um, these sort of things, but it's still considered like when someone publishes a book on like Amazon or something and is like, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, who's your publisher? And they're like, I self-published. It <laughs> yeah. still is deeply uncool. Yeah, you know, yeah. people are still like very, and people are, um, besides jerky, what word do I want for this? Maybe classes a bit of like, or like pretentious. Yeah. And like if people self-published, then it meant it wasn't good enough to be published, that there's a little bit of this attitude connotation to it. But then we have these things, you know, then we had blogging and all this stuff where people were like, again, I'm going to do what I want. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, it's like you benefit from having a publisher or you benefit from having a magazine in the sense of you have an editor, you have PR, you know, like there's all these things that will also assist you with, with your success, but your ability to get it done is completely out of your control and hands. So as someone who has faced a lot of rejection and tried to get lots of things done that people said like, no, or, you know, we already have one woman's idea this year, <laughs> like come back next, you know, and a lot of that stuff. What I've loved about like podcasting and social media and things like that and Substack is like, fuck them, do it yourself, yeah. own your content, you know, and I recommend it to a lot of my TV friends who really feel 
you know, like they're waiting for someone to just green light their life, waiting to get their scripts approved or waiting to get a, you know, production company. And like, I also don't have any clue how anyone makes money anymore, you know, because like it's just been sliced and sliced and sliced away at so much that friends of mine, you know, who will sell a script and because I don't give a fuck, I'll ask, I'll be like, would you get paid on that? Like out of curiosity and what they used to get, you know, um, I would say roughly like, let's say 35,000 for back in the day. Like, and I would say this is within 15 years. So not that long ago, people are getting like, five i mean it's just it's just crazy that you know people are now having to do like three times the work oh yeah you know for like not even half the pay like i mean it's just it's insane so i do think you know we're seeing now podcasts are becoming tv shows like podcasts are now you know getting the interest of um agents and and things like that and Similar things are happening like both with Twitter and Substack where, I mean, Twitter has launched many writers careers, which is like insane to think of making like some successful 140 characters, you know, comments like you can get deals. But I mean, if you can be really compelling on Twitter, I think like there's some some truth to that. Like, why why not give that person a shot? Right. I mean, I was just working with another friend who has a publishing deal and they found her writing on her Instagram. Her Instagram captions are beautiful. I, I have two friends actually who are in this boat and, and that's really cool. And, you know, it's another, it's yeah. another place to exist. And as time goes on and things change and we adjust to the realities that be, I think that all of those feelings, people are working them out in real time, myself included, you, you know, we, all of us yeah. included it's another place to put your work is kind of where I've landed and yeah, getting noticed is cool and getting picked up for something is cool. Or just sharing your words with the people who want them, who, who need them, because it's also really hard. There's so many, I mean, we're, it's, it's easy to be self-critical too. And it's easy to be like, Oh, my writing is no good. Oh, I, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this. But yeah. so much of where I find encouragement is just from like, there's also always people out there who want to, read it and who will need it and who will want it and thinking about them and where they are is also really helpful I think for kind of like helping that's how I help myself with these mental gymnastics of like what am I doing or is this what I should be doing and then I kind of always land on if I'm trying to do what I ultimately want to do then of course it's what I should be doing kind of no matter where it is if it's on my Instagram caption if it's on my website if it's in a uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. You mentioned in class that you've identified as a writer for a long time, since like a young age, which I think is like very cute, but also surprising. <laughs> and writers often are, I mean, they have a little bit of this reputation of being kind of like solitary creatures. Do you think sometimes what is frustrating for writers with the way the like landscape is changing now is like, you have to be so on all the time that it's like, you can't just retreat and like go write your little words, go, you know, it's like you need to be on and it needs to be daily, you know, like, well, if you, if that's the game you want to play, you know, and the consequences of that, I don't know, maybe consequences is too like harsh a word, but I know myself to be a very slow writer, especially when it comes to 
what I see in my mind is like my big work, um, you know, yeah. my personal essays. I, I write them really slowly. And the last time I had something published was 2020. And that's now three years ago. So I have a lot of things on the back burner, but none of them have seen the light of day yet because yeah, I know how long it takes me to feel good about putting something out in the world or feel like something is, is finished. Um, so yeah, otherwise, and there's writers who I remember when I like had just finished undergrad and was applying for jobs, none of which I ever got, but I always thought about those writers who turn out like five articles a day or whatever, or like people who write that kind of way. I could never do it. And I, you know, it's one way to be a writer, but it's, it's just a different way than I've ever kind of really known. So yeah, it is kind of frustrating, but at the same time, I think just knowing your habits and knowing your ways can just be like the ultimate comfort and just the ultimate thing to come back to. I'm a slow writer. So read my next work, hopefully by the end of this year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is why I think, I, I think I really like you and find you fascinating. Cause I'm just like, you're, I think you're very wise to come to that. And I, I think, you know, it's taken me until like, a few months ago to really arrive at that. And to be honest, it's, it's a lot due to your class that, okay, I'm going to split the credit. It's half your class. And it was half doing this podcast <laughs> that I realized for anything to really be good. And for me to feel really good and proud of it and feel like I really did what I wanted to do, or I said what I wanted to say, it takes a long time that it's trusting maybe like what your, hunches and and then like coming back and coming back again and then getting something on the paper and then coming back again you know and I think I spent a lot of my early years um I was really I think it felt so good just to have idea that I was sort of prolific in terms of what I could do or get out N not saying any of it was good you know like for real but for me it was more about maybe the catharsis of self-expression than it was anything to do with craft. Cause I definitely was one of those people who was like, I'm not a writer. I just like, you know, string some words together here and there and felt very self-conscious about claiming being a writer in any kind of way. I had a like a successful blog in the early two thousands and stuff. And yet, or I guess the 2010s, I get confused about time now <laughs> and stuff. And I still am like, oh, who, me, you know, yeah. that has been really illuminating to me that similar for me to do stuff that I feel really good about, that I feel comfortable putting out in the world takes so much longer than I ever thought. And I think some of it's because like my ways into like art making were things like photography, which is very like instant, you know, like you see it, you take it. I mean, the process of really making a photo was much more involved, but like there isn't a lot of, I mean, I guess you can now with digital and stuff, but for the sake of this argument, like when I came into photo, like you couldn't really labor over it, you mm -hmm. know, like the labor came in the, like the, the literal labor, labor of like, you know, processing your film, developing negatives, like doing all of that sort of stuff. But when it came to image making, like it, I was much more like documentary and things like that and, and fine art and, and it wasn't really working in a studio or anything like that. So it was just much more instant and either like you got it or you didn't, you know, it was much more black and white and definitive. And our last, last round of class was what, 12 weeks? Mm, it was six sessions over 12 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And 
it took me the entire 12 weeks to write the, I was workshop the last class, which worked out for me. And it took me all 12 weeks to write it. And it was, um, I think one page. I mean, it, I did look at it cause I think you, you had us aim for like 500 words and I know mine was like 600, which that tracks, that was humbling. I think for, or not humbling, but it was like, Oh, like yeah. I had already started to see if I would give things longer and mm -hmm. give myself permission to return, then I got better stuff. And I wonder if it is a little bit now with like blogging, social media, all this stuff that we think we're supposed to be turning things out mm -hmm. sooner and more quickly. And it's like, maybe there's just all different kinds of makers. We kind of know this, but I think there's something about writing that I think people really feel they don't know, like they don't know what's normal or they don't know, like there's a lot of kind of cliches and a lot of stereotypes, but I don't think people know very much like what a quote unquote, like normal process would be like. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that people are revision. <laughs> I, we talked a lot about revision and in the second to last session of the last workshop I gave revision for me is where I find all of the meaning. <laughs> I think it's so interesting. And this is, it's really helpful to be in a writing group, a writing class, a writing workshop, what have you have like an accountability buddy and looking at the difference between other people's first drafts and then final drafts or last drafts, or if the piece gets published, what actually gets published or watching your own, like my essay that's in the cut that started from a journal entry that was about completely different things. And again, it took me a year to write that. And then of course it took me a year to write that and pitch it. And then it changed into something else once I started working with an editor. And then my other essay over under, which is one of, which is the one that's on entropy that you can't find anymore. That took me three years. And that was also about, really? oh, oh yeah, it was about so many different topics. And then ultimate, and also like my life had to change a lot for that essay to get written. So there's all kinds of things. And I think that time, allowing yourself the time, especially with writing, if you're the kind of writer like I am, or it sounds like that you are time and patience and I often say you look at your draft and you connect the dots. You find the language, the words, the images that speak to each other, that mirror each other. Because when you're writing, or at least when I'm writing a first draft and I'm going really quickly and, and I'm not sure where I'm going to go and I'm surprising myself, there's all kinds of things that happen on the page. And it's only when I put the page away, sleep, have another day go by, whatever, look at the page again, that I get to see those connections and those things and then I kind of figure out what I'm actually talking about thematically or what the piece wants to be about. I think that when we talk about the difference between personal narrative or essay and journal entry in class, another aspect of personal narrative is just the acknowledgement that the reader is also there with you eventually. You know, when you're <laughs> writing in your journal, it's like, I mean, there is that little like in the back of my mind feeling like when I die and my journals are found, will my <laughs> daughter who's not born yet, like know this about me, whatever. Yeah. Like I have those thoughts, but ultimately when you're writing in your journal or for catharsis, it's just like, Bleh, just all about me. And then it's my to-do list. And then like my leg hurts and then whatever. Yeah. But when, when you're crafting a narrative, it is with this other person in mind, this other reader who is also going to have some kind of experience just like you're having when they read it, you know, just that you also have to keep in mind while you're writing it. I was surprised when I was talking to Catherine May and she was talking about 
people projecting onto her books and onto her. And have you had that experience? Do you feel like people read things and project a lot on your writing or project a lot onto you or? Yeah, sometimes. Because we were talking about before we started recording as well, how so often you have to do these things, not thinking anybody is ever going to read it or ever, you know, going to listen or whatever. And yet it's like tricky. Like a pet peeve of mine is when people on Instagram who are just a normal person in their captions are addressing an imagined audience. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm like, who are these people? Who are you talking to? Yep. And I think it's something we all do. Like, I think everybody has something they want to say, number one. And I think it's to what degree you're you're either acknowledging that or honest with yourself about it. And then a trick I think a lot of people do is this imagined audience in order to get themselves to get over their own fears about expressing themselves. And it actually divorces them from themselves or something. Whereas like you just said about the diary versus like the piece, when you're writing a journal entry, you're not thinking about anybody. It's just yourself. And then when you're writing a piece there in somewhere in the back of your mind, you do kind of blend in. What do you want someone to take away from this? What do you want? You know, like eventually someone will be in the car with you, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then it is, so interesting when people will give you feedback or be like, I listened to blah, blah, blah episode. And it just really made me think about blah and all this stuff. And I'm like, whoa. And it's so cool. I'm grateful every time someone slides into my DM or like tells me something like, I appreciate it. I value it. You're taking time out of your day in the economy of attention. It's very valuable. I do. But sometimes it is bizarre. It is I don't even know how they took away what they did, you know? And I'm just like, that is magic. That is like absolute magic to me, but I don't know what you do with the experience. So I'm curious what your experience has been as a writer with some of that projection and with some of that like kind of audience stuff of like someone reading something and being like, I thought it was really about mothers. And you're like, (laughs) it's about farms, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Having been in lots of writing workshops during my MFA program and then also just with my writing group and with friends, that happens all the time. And I think when you're still working on something, it can be helpful to an extent. It's a skill and a muscle that you have to build, a skill you have to practice to know how much of the feedback you really want to incorporate. You have to kind of trust yourself first and foremost. But I think when your piece is still in progress, it can be helpful because if you're trying to write about your relationship with your mother, but what's really coming through is, I don't know, all of your guilt about something else. And someone says that and you're like, oh, maybe I need to go back and change some things. But after the piece is published, oh, like for sure. And when something is out in the world, it also kind of depends on where it is, like, and who gets to, who reads it there have been times where people have really misunderstood what I'm trying to say. And I can sometimes chalk it up to just like what their experience is and what they bring to the piece. And that's beautiful because everyone has different experiences and it's not maybe this, maybe they didn't get what I was trying to transmit. For instance, my 
experience of publishing with the cut, I think that came through a lot. <laughs> I was going to ask because I'm in an article on the cut and the, the comments are vicious. My comments are pretty vicious too, except for everyone loved the first sentence of my essay, which was- It's funny because I've read that essay and I've yeah. read those comments and they <laughs> went for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that piece, I should have read it again in pre preparation for today, but then I, mean, I, I, I forgot. I forgot what it says. <laughs> I think it's a kind of about heartbreak or breakups. Yes. You know, yes. that piece. And I just think the comments, like, like I think some people just like were mad about that. They, yeah. I think they were just mad that a, that a woman right. was writing about a breakup. They were like, yeah. oh, like women in these breakup. Like, yes. I don't even think some of them wrote it. You know, that's, like, yeah, that's a one thing is always, always, always just kind of taking everything that stings and being like, okay, is this actually just a bunch of bullshit? Like, is this just like mm -hmm. patriarchal, whatever the hell? How can I? Or does someone just simply not? get it? Are we not speaking the same language? That's one thing. The really funny thing about, so first of all, when, when that essay came out, I didn't know what the headline was going to be until it was published. And I did not like the headline at all. And that really upset me. And I think that also really turned me off from kind of publishing with like more mainstream publications, because once you send it to them and they accept it and you're like, yay, I'm going to be an X, Y, and Z publication, it's over. And I think that they yeah. wanted to turn it into something that it wasn't necessarily. And I gave, I of course had to, you know, play the game and I, I did, I made changes to it, whatever, but it became something a little bit that I didn't necessarily want it to be. And that was a really great learning experience. The funniest thing that came of that essay was, yeah, it's about a breakup. And this woman afterwards contacted me. She had a podcast. She was like a love coach or like a love therapist. And she wanted to mm. talk to me about, but it wasn't, she didn't want to talk to me about writing. She wanted to talk to me about like relationship advice. Like, and <laughs> I was very like, well, I'm certainly no expert. And we recorded the podcast. She was asking me a lot of questions about like my dating life because the essay was about love and relationships and breakups and heartbreak and all that. And I was just like, this feels so, I feel like I'm being cast in a role that I don't want to be. I wrote an essay that I think had insight about loss and putting yourself back together. And that's what I was going for. I'm not someone who's trying to like get up on the pulpit and be like, this is how you should handle your heartbreak. Like, I, I don't know the answer to that question and I don't care, you know? That's not your personality either. Yeah, it's not my personality. Besides so it's that, like, that that wasn't the piece, like that's also not your, that's not your brand. Yeah, it was so not my vibe. Long story short, I don't think she ever actually published the podcast because <laughs> I can never find it. And it's probably a good thing because I don't think I had anything particularly insightful to say because we weren't talking about actually writing. We were talking about, she was just asking me questions about my love life and it was like weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to ask you how much you care about being understood because mm -hmm. I think that that's something that comes up all the time that people really want to be seen and understood, which makes sense. It's a pretty strong human desire yeah. <laughs> and human need. But I think a lot of writers have this interesting push pull with being under understood where it's like, you know, ideally this essay is understood and I better feel aware of like from being in class with you. Cause I did pretty much like back to back classes that the biggest thing you taught me that changed my kind of changed my life and my writing life is that I didn't have to come to the page clear. 
I didn't have to come with a fully formed idea. I didn't have to come, like, I didn't have to come with the answer that if in fact my work would be a lot better coming with the question, which then my piece that was workshop was basically like all questions. So I went a little too far with it. However, <laughs> I found like f from better understanding process a bit of like, if you come at it this way, like you can start to find the meeting. You can start to find what you're trying to understand. It made me feel so much like clearer, it, like internally that I was less concerned with the external, which like really surprised me because I think in the past I have definitely felt more precious and like, I hope people understand this and like, I want to be understood this way or whatever. And the clearer I get, the less concerned I am at that. The example you're giving is like so interesting where I see how someone could like read that. And I think it's lazy to sort of make some of these assumptions or assume because you wrote about a heartbreak that you would like want to talk about your love life. I would also think that a lazy thing people could do is assume that like you're a loser in love, right, that right, if right. Because, which I think it's like anytime a woman writes about anything unpleasant in love, the leap that goes from like, maybe they're just talking about heartbreak, which is a pretty, you know, normal thing. And it, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's experienced by every human, right. but like if a woman writes about it, Oh, she's sad, you know? Yeah. So do you feel aware of like where you're trying, where you can, where you have the agency just sort of where you can sort of cast yourself or where you can really, how much do you care about being understood? Because this podcast example, I think, is like really the perfect example of that, of you're just sort of like, oh, you've you've misunderstood, you know, right. Right. of like kind of who I am or what I'm about from yeah. this. Yeah, I guess like ultimately, of course, I do want to be understood. Yeah. And I want the pieces that I put out in the world, my writing, because I think one thing that we didn't talk about when we're writing, when we're talking about the writing process and thinking about the reader is it's also a, like a, a three-way relationship. There's the human, there's the writer, there's the work, and then there's the assumed imagined reader in the future. And a really important second part, I think, after you have a rough draft or you've done kind of an expressive free write is you have to think about, okay, where, where does the essay want to go? Or where does the poem want to go? What where is the kind of mysterious magnetic pull going? And let me follow that until the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And through that process, there's definitely like a me as a writer trying to understand myself through kind of communicating with the essay, what comes up on the page, what do I keep writing about? So I do, yes, like want to be understood. And I'm also, and this took a long time and I don't think I was like this even five years ago, um, I don't really mind if <laughs> I'm misunderstood in some ways. Also, because I mean, so much of the feedback I got after that essay was so positive and so many people really loved it. And so many people really identified with it and it was helpful. And even some people use the word healing to, you know, read some things that I've, so like that just, it will be understood by someone out there for sure. Um, yeah. And just remi reminding myself of that is very, very helpful. And also just like whatever the story is, is one thing. And I think about the Joan Didion quote, and I'm going to botch it, but 
uh, someone, a reporter asked her, uh, you know, what do you think about things that you've written a long time ago? She's like, sometimes I think they're good. Other times I think, oops, like, you know, I started (laughs) as someone also like in the internet age or whatever, I started writing, I went to grad school when I was 24. Like a lot of the things that I've written, I I wrote when I was very young and some of those stories like for sure reveal that. And I'm sure I'll say that again about myself in 10 years. But for me, if if I can look at the writing and again, coming back to craft, say the writing is good, you know, like, oh, I know I see what I was doing here. I was connecting some dots. I was creating some images. I was playing with meaning. I was searching for insight. I was trying to figure something out on the page, something that's universal and human and maybe big picture through my own personal experience, whether it's heartbreak or this or that or work or growing up in a family or what have you. As long as the writing is good. (laughs) And then I think that's like kind of all I care about and people will understand it and people will misunderstand it. And that's kind of it. What defines a successful piece for you? Mm, Of my own? Mm -hmm. I think when I wind up in a surprising place, that illuminates something that I didn't know I was sitting down to try to figure out. So like surprising myself (laughs) and doing so with clarity. Yeah. Like something I've been thinking uh, about a lot that you've talked about in class, like Catherine May was saying it again, meaning making. Mm -hmm. And I'm forever in search of meaning, you know, like I thought I wanted, I thought I just wanted to know. I thought I was just curious and inquisitive. And then I think I got like kind of, I don't know, inundated by the world, maybe social media. I don't know that I, I feel like people were, were too quick to assign meaning maybe that people and people were also never um, really investigating or challenging themselves Mm -hmm. that, you know, like, yeah, I think we should like, trust ourselves and, you know, trust your intuition and things like that. But it doesn't mean you can't sort of have a standard of like checks and balances in your inquiry, you know, or your meaning making. And I think something that has been really interesting for me as I feel like one, you know, I kind of take both feet out of spirituality and only have one foot in spirituality and one foot kind of in other endeavors that, writing feels like one of the purest forms of spirituality in the sense of meaning making. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about how much, like, I think writing is such a, um, become such a like way of living in a way that it does start to affect all these different areas of your life. And when I think I've committed more to a writing practice, I've been, like I keep telling you, like you, you changed my brain and you're like, cool. I don't really get what that means, you know, but it's like, you really helped me be able to organize my thoughts in a different way, which is a struggle for me. I literally have disabilities that work against it. So, I mean, and I'm 42 years old. Yeah. I admitted it on the pod. I don't give a fuck. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I'm in a mood today. I don't know, but is writing kind of your spirituality? Mm, that's is it your meaning making is that is it your system you look at and make sense of life you know like 
One, it's a beautiful question, and I actually, I, I really like the way that you arrived at it because it was <laughs> very. Like, you changed me. I told you. <laughs> yes, it was very. I don't know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to refine the question. Literally, you just refined the question. Um, yeah, no, I, I do think that. I think that writing and reading great books and you know even okay books just books that move me like I don't, I don't mean great books like the greats I mean you know just books yeah I think are great which are usually memoirs and personal essays by women but yeah um <laughs> writing is I think 100% my meaning making system writing movement is as well is kind of like the secondary one and I'm really lucky that I eventually figured out and decided to make that kind of like my two things, you know, it's writing and movement are the two things that I, I make my work out of. And I also live my life off of and really run off of. And of course, reading, I don't, I don't know, you know, I think a lot about belief, of course, with as far as like spirituality goes and fate and kind of my own personal mythology and narratives and all of that and everything, everything that we believe in is a story. And writing, especially writing creative nonfiction, has really helped me to not second guess myself, but be open to the possibility of change and not be afraid of changing and not being afraid of surprising myself really with where I go, what I think, who I become, how I feel. I would definitely say that writing is my meaning-making system and connections, metaphors, beautiful images, deep sensory descriptions, really powerful, surprising words, um, the way that things sound, the way that things feel when you're reading them coming out of your mouth, if you're reading them out loud, like that's all kind of, I guess, like the stuff of, uh, that's meaning and that's kind of what what I live for. <laughs> That's just yeah. dramatic, but it's true. That's the kind of stuff that makes me feel most alive and most human and most embodied and all of that. I don't think we get to choose those things. I really don't. I think it's it's on us to pay attention to when it's like, oh yes, that that feeds me. And yeah. it feeds me on a deep core level, you know? My therapist was saying that the other day actually, that she was like you know, you're a little satchel of stuff, you know, like what's remarkable about you is like you figured out what fed you at a core level at a really young age mm -hmm. and like knew how to do that. Like you understood like art and, you know, color, like humor, the, these things helped really keep you intact and you got it at a young age. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. but it's true. And now I'm, now I feel like very sure about it. Like I had a hunch when I was younger, I had a hunch like, oh, this stuff makes me feel really good on a deep way. Like that's different than like my best friend or something, you know, like I made those connections very young, but I didn't, but it felt private, you know, it just felt, it just felt like a, like a thing I did or like, or I guess I thought everybody did, you know, like everybody kind of knew their stuff. It turns out not so much. How did movement come into writing for you? I think probably always. It was always there. Like mm -hmm. I I remember when I was in high school, I would come, my parents had this treadmill and I used to walk on the treadmill or run on the treadmill. And I, I distinctly remember the feeling of being anxious, like having anxiety coming home from school mm -hmm. after using my brain all day and sitting down all day and thinking all day. And even when I was like 
you know, I felt like a writer. I was on my newspaper in school. You know, I was in the literary magazine in college. I always, always knew what my mind wanted to be doing, but then I, my body needed to be doing something too. Um, Mm. so I've always been someone who has turned to movement to help my mind, to clear my mind, to just feel who I am again, because also when you're in your head and you're sitting down and doing what I call your finger aerobics, when you're typing or when you're moving the pen across the page, it can get really, it can get a little chaotic in there if you don't um, put it down and either just like go for a walk or something. So movement was, has has always really been really important in my life for kind of just like self-regulating and also for being able to create in the first place. I'm definitely someone like most of us who has really good ideas when I'm walking or when I'm outside, when I'm on the go. So I do a lot of my writing when I'm walking, when I'm running. Um, Running is kind of a new thing in my life over the last three years, but I do a lot of my writing in my mind when I'm running. And and yeah, it was always something that I, I leaned towards. And I also, I was teaching when I was in grad school, but I was teaching uh, at a college and I was teaching like composition 101 and I did not want to really do like the adjunct thing at all. Um, and so I became uh, a Pilates teacher and a bar teacher. And, and I always kind of had this idea to kind of marry the two or this hope to marry the two in my work because it's been so important to me. And I also see kind of, um, like there's so much I see out there in the movement world and the fitness world and that I don't like and that I've spent a lot of energy going to either classes or gyms or spaces where there's like things that I have to ignore to get what I need out of it as Mm. as someone who then goes home and tries to create or make art or write or whatever I want to call it that day. And I was like, you know, it would be cool. And I've been to classes also where I had teachers who are also artists or writers or whatever. And I'm like, that's so cool. So eventually I was just like, I think I want to do that too. So yeah, now my work on Mood Bar and kind of just all the time is figuring out, not figuring out because a lot of it already exists, but it's like putting together these different things with movement that I think fuel creativity uh, the best or the safest or the ways that have worked really well for me. And usually that's movement like bar and Pilates or improvisational dance or running or walking. Um, so just like exploring, I guess what you might call like the mind body connection in my own way, specifically with the not end goal, but with the intention of movement to just be clearer, better at creating whatever it is that I'm creating that day, whether it's an essay or a meal or, you know, a conversation with a friend, whatever it is, I just do it better if I've moved. I'm trying to figure that out for myself, but I think in general, something that you're touching upon that everyone, I think people put a lot of pressure on themselves to like sit down and just emote and Mm -hmm. just be great, you know? And if you don't have a practice, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be, you know, and that's nothing that doesn't mean anything about your skill or talent or it's just like, I think it's such a process to figure out Mm -hmm. how you get your own brilliance out of your mind. And 
I, you know, I offer that to a lot of people of like experiment with it. I think so people are so unwilling to experiment because they're just like, I don't know. I, I suspect they think they're going to find out that they're shit. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. won't like you're yeah, like, yeah, some of it will be shit. Like it will, you know, like and other stuff, like you said, like will surprise you and yeah. be like that. Like for most people, I'm like, I wish more people would stick with like exploring their creative process, usually twice as long as they're willing to mm. so that they can surprise themselves. It's the coolest, best feeling that this little nugget that you didn't even know resided within you was like, what about me? And you're like, oh, that that was so smart. Thank you, self. You know, like it's the best feeling. And I wish that people, instead of being like, I put two hours on my calendar to write, you know, or to do my book proposal or whatever, would just like give themselves more time to play and practice and like see what happens. And I definitely do not have as uh, refined or defined a movement practice as Kate. But sometimes like when I do know that I'm going to have to focus or something like I will make myself like kind of get it out, like shake it out and stuff, you you know, you can move your shoulders around. I mean, people do it all the time, like stretch, reach your arms up in the sky, whatever. It's helpful. And then I set timers as well. I do a lot of the Pomodoro method, but I set a lot of timers to then also make myself at least get up and get more water or whatever, you know, and, and stuff like that. And, and it's just helpful. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about Mood Bar? And then I had asked Kate if she would be willing to share some of her writing with us today. And and was like, no pressure, no pressure, if you want to or not. (laughs) And then before we started recording, I was like, do you have any writing you want to share? She's like, I do. And I was (laughs) thrilled. So I wanted to know if you wanted to tell us a little bit more about Mood Bar or just uh, Mood Bar or just tell us, you know, we've touched on it, but if you wanted to, you know, Give us, give us the spiel. Tell yeah. us what, what is this brilliance you've built? And yeah. honestly, her site is gorgeous. Like <laughs> the design envy I had when, when you launched, I was like, Ooh, this is so cute. <laughs> it was really cute. I owe that all to my brilliant web designers, web weavers. They were a dream to work with. Yeah. So with mood bar, So when I'm teaching, I teach in person at Pilates Hudson, a beautiful studio in Hudson, New York, right where I live. I teach Pilates and bar there. And Pilates and bar is two phenomenal modalities that I'm really lucky to know and to teach and to practice. But sometimes, I mean, not sometimes, it's just the truth that they can come off and they do come off a lot of times to a lot of people as rigid or exclusive or not welcoming or to something. And because these modalities are kind of like, there's a reason for the rules and structure because there's, it's so great. Like Pilates is great for like rehabbing injuries and putting yourself back together after surgery or did this and that. But those, that rigidity can reinforce a lot of perfectionist tendencies, I think, that don't always uh, keep people coming back. So with Mood Bar, I really, I wanted to create a space that was all my own where I could really experiment with the things that are unique to me that the clients coming to the Pilates studio who have been coming for 20 years might be like, what the hell is she doing? And sometimes I do do the things that I want to do with them. And they're like, that was really cool. That was really great. So that's cool. But I really (laughs) wanted my own space to communicate what I was trying to go for and reach the people who want 
or need it or haven't found it anywhere else. So one of the big things to me, for me, is language. Obviously, as a writer, language is really important to me. The kind of language that I use in my classes, it's always, or I try to always make it. Interesting, one thing, creative, surprising, perhaps. I want people <laughs> interested and I want it to be fun. I also make sure that it's inclusive of all kinds of different things. I don't really use terms like levels or levels of difficulty. I offer a lot of modifications so that people can do something that feels right to them. And I always, always, always encourage people to listen to your bodies. I cue according to anatomy and I cue in a way that I hope helps whoever's taking my class truly just tap into this sensation that they're feeling. So just being mind nowhere else, just in their bodies, embodiment, with the purpose of just feeling clearer, more connected to yourself, more in touch with whatever your body might be feeling, whatever information your body might be giving you that day. And this whole idea of moving for increased body awareness, increased self-awareness. Like I said before, I do a lot of my writing when I'm running or when I'm walking or when I'm moving what I mean by that, I think, is I sometimes text message myself little notes if I come up with a good mm-hmm. line. But but what I really mean is I'm I'm getting to know myself better when I'm moving. I'm not actually I'm figuring out something in a way that doesn't feel like mental work. It's a different kind of process or work. So yeah, so everything with mood bar is like it's movement to be a little bit more self-aware. And I think that increased self-awareness is a really good way to express yourself more clearly and to feel more self-expressed. I love that, to feel more self-expressed. Because something you said earlier I thought was really interesting was about, like, you know, you're creating tools to support creativity. And Mm -hmm. so I love that. And I also think, like, it's important as well this is a little bit of a tangent. Shocking, I know. But I think it's important, too, that there's a little bit of this attitude. If you want to be a writer, or you want to be an artist, or you want to be this, if you're doing anything else, then you're not legit, you know? Mm-hmm. And I love that you were like, fuck that. What if I put it all together? Mm-hmm. And what if I highlighted the way it all supports each other and it all like, you know, I tell people sometimes when they're like, you know, a lot of people come to me to just sort of brainstorm some of their creativity and things like that. And I'll be like, well, it sounds like the playground you're playing in is like X, Y, Z, like maybe focus on that and see what happens. And it's like, I like that you've created mood bar in this way of like, this is the area I play in and I do it in a couple different ways, you know, like, Maybe you don't want to write, but you want to move and you want to do it in a different way. Or maybe you want to write, but like this way of moving in order to be in a different conversation with yourself is appealing. I think sometimes people want to put things on really opposite ends of their own spectrum. I mean, like do whatever you want, people. But I think that creates division within. Mm -hmm. And it's like 
you don't have to be ashamed of being a Pilates instructor or you don't have to think that that takes away from your artist cred or in like, I'm not as serious as a writer or something like that. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Like everybody's got to make a living and also everyone's allowed to contain multitudes, you know, that in generally I am driven to dynamic people and generally dynamic people aren't one note, you know? So Mm. I just wanted to, you know, highlight that because I think the way you created mood bar, mood bar is really my, my, it's funny. My brain understands that it's mood bar. My mouth keeps wanting to say mood board. Cause that's just generally <laughs> yeah. what I have said more. Makes, and I'm sense. like different thing, different thing lips. Brain keeps being like, no, hold Thank it back. That because that's a very near and dear to me sentiment because yeah, there is a lot of stuff that has to be worked through when you're coupling or marrying two different, they're not, they've never been that different to me, I think is why it works. Because even when sometimes I open my mouth and try to explain, well, it's movement for creativity, like for the, for a second, I'm like, I'm, no one's going to understand. And then the person on the receiving end is usually like, that's so cool. Or like, I get that so much and not everyone's going to, which is totally cool, but a lot of people will. And And that's, I think that's what makes it work is that they have always felt very coupled to me, just even before I knew it was possible to connect the two in my, in my work. Well, and I think that took time. You got clear on that and then you offered it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then also on, so on the platform, just to, it's, um, I have bar classes and then I have Pilates classes, which are all on the mat, no standing up. And then I also have these move and write classes that are new to the platform. They're kind of like a, a test that I'm doing, but that's ultimately where it all comes together. And the move and write classes are more improvisational in nature. And then there's a writing prompt at the end. And I'm experimenting with how I want to support my members with that last piece, whether it's going mm-hmm. to be, you know, my classes are a recording of me doing something. And with the improvisational movement, it's me guiding you and cueing you and doing my own thing, but you're ultimately doing your own thing over there. And I don't see it or whatever, because they're recordings. And then for the 10 minute writing prompt session, I'm deciding if I'm going to then sit down in front of my camera and say, okay, me and you are going to write together for 10 minutes. And it might look kind of weird, but maybe that'll help people sit longer. <laughs> and yeah, that's interesting. It, you know? So I'm still kind of working through that. Um, but I'm excited about that part of the platform because that's kind of the true, I think what sets it apart in the, in the most obvious way and in the like truest beating heart way to me. Yeah. God bless you for being willing to do improvisational movement <laughs> by yourself. It doesn't always look pretty. That's for sure. But no, it never. And the, no. and the stuff that feels the best and feels the most like, oh yeah, I really needed to move that way. Like, I mean, I got really into Y7 and you know, the way they work, like you do like one round of the flow and then like, and you do it, I think three times, I can't remember, but you get this part, you get like a couple different times where they're like, and flow however you want, you know? sometimes the things that we would all do that clearly like your body is saying like, please stretch that or please do this, you know, but you're like, thank God this is in the dark, you yeah. know, cause I look crazy right now. <laughs> Are you ready to read for us? Yeah. I just love it when getting read to is like such a treat. 
It's such a treat. Yeah. And I, like I was saying, my works in progress night that I, I run with my friend, uh, Nina Boutsikaris, who's also a writer. She has a book that's really good called, I'm trying to tell you, I'm sorry. It's a beautiful lyrical book. But yeah, we run this works in progress night. And it's just like I said, it's my favorite night of the season because it's a deadline for me, just like this podcast was. So thank you for that. And yeah, hearing someone else read is really, really nice. Okay, I'll stop pushing it off. <laughs> I'll start reading. Is there, what would you like us to know about this piece? Okay, okay. That's something I also ask in my writing class for yeah. anyone workshops because, yeah, it's important. Like, what do you want to know about it? Okay, so this is very much a work in progress. I told Anna and the rest of my writing class about this piece a few weeks ago. It's kind of in real time. And the way that it came together, it's still very much coming together. But I started writing the first version of it, the first draft. I followed the essay. I listened to where it wanted to go. And it went off in some direction. And I was like, "Uh, no. So then I started from the beginning again. And it went off in another direction. And this is like maybe the fifth iteration. And I'm still kind of figuring it out. But reading out loud is a really helpful form of editing for me. So... Also, I would like to point out that the tense changes kind of midway through. I'm still deciding if I want (laughs) this to be in past tense or present tense. So I kind of like I'm doing both. Noted. So don't slide into her DMs about it. Okay. (laughs) I know this already. Okay. (laughs) Okay. There's no title. I mistook it for a crystal glistening against the pale concrete of the sidewalk. Maybe selenite, a rod of which a friend gave me once. She was cleaning out her office and they were leftover favors from her wedding a few years earlier. Or clear quartz, just a bit larger than the pair I used to hook through my earlobes. It couldn't have been opal, but imagine all those colors dodging recognition. When I leaned closer, intending to pick it up, carry it home in my pocket and keep it forever, I realized that it was in fact no crystal, but maybe cellophane from a pack of cigarettes or discarded mailing tape, the thick, transparent kind. It was balled up plastic. The morning was bright, but not cold for February. Friends and I were calling it faux spring all week. We wanted to linger outside, soak up the light and warmth of which we were feeling deprived, our bodies feeding off happy chemicals, but of course we didn't talk about that too loudly, because this weather is no cute coincidence, it is dire, like everything. I was walking my friend's dog, caring for the dog while my friend was traveling. My sweatpants were mauve, my jacket was light blue, and my hair held onto curls I put there last night, but it most certainly also looked slept on. I look messy, but since I am a visitor here in this neighborhood, just over the river from where I live, I don't mind looking like this while walking two loops around the block with the dog. Sometimes when I wear sunglasses, I assume everyone is seeing the world, the same shaded tint as I. Across the street from where we stand is a stone church, Catholic, enormous, and loud. The bells chime. It's a few minutes past nine o'clock, and people are walking in and out. Unintentionally, I always scan the sign in front of the church for what kind of church it is, and when I see the words Roman Catholic, I feel an involuntary kinship that I'm not sure, no matter how much time passes, I'll ever be able to rid myself of. And don't get me wrong, it's not that I'm upset. I wasn't raised by fanatics. When I see those words, it's not anything particular that comes to my mind, but it's my earliest memories, my first exposure to ritual. Not even the church's, but my own, or that of my family's. 
It's me, the oldest of four small children, waking up and dressing up to leave the house with just my father while my mother stays home with the three babies, my siblings. My mind goes like this. Catholic church, slate sidewalks, the smell of the ocean, my father's hand in mine while we walk up and down the big stairs, Dunkin' Donuts, blueberry muffin. What a strange sensory creature I once was, and maybe still am. For instance, a ritual of mine from back then, eat the blueberry muffin base first, like prep work. Then one by one, pick each square of sugar from the muffin top with the underside of my fingernail. This tiny excavation was a must-do, and I savored each sweet crystal one by one until the top of the muffin was smooth. Lastly, eat the top, the reward of all rewards. While the church bells chimed and the little dog sniffed around a tel telephone pole, I looked again at the balled-up piece of plastic. If it had been something precious, what might I have done with it? placed it on a windowsill probably, displayed alongside my seashells or my measuring cup halfway full with plastic shrimp, or I'd place it beside the small dish of big, strong bobby pins, the ones I saved from the time I had my hair professionally curled and sculpted and sprayed and pinned down for my cousin's wedding. I would have added it to one of my many altars, as you might call them, the ones that I keep near the light, the windowsill, like plants. Last night, I curled my hair and sprayed it too, with barely a percentage of the precision and control of that hairstylist, but my hair looked good, perfect even. Perfect for a Saturday night out. The plan was dinner and dancing at a friend's hotel nestled in the mountains. I curled my hair and put on an outfit, and as I left the house, not mine, but my friend's house, with the small old dog, I felt a familiar drop in my stomach, a feeling I once heard described as anticipation. When anticipation and disappointment collide and implode and suddenly the whole world around you is fool's gold or a balled up piece of plastic, garbage on the sidewalk. It's classically dramatic because nothing is in fact wrong. But it's the moment when I realize that while no, nothing is wrong, I'm harboring this longing for something really good to happen, for a beautiful turn in my own mythology that will set all of my uncertainties neatly into their categories of, oh, I understand now for relief or sense to be made. It is true, after all, that on the first day of this year, when I wrote out my lists, one resolution was to be redemptively happy. And I'll stop reading there. So good. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Thanks for uh, asking me to read. <laughs> I'm so glad. I mean, we can all look forward to seeing that published in three years or so. Exactly. Once it's completely different. <laughs> yeah, if we, if we, yeah, if we honor your, your pace. <laughs> I want to be more effusive, but my brain is just keeps coming back to in disappointment. I can't say it. <laughs> if I could see it, I could maybe do it. But I'm like, yeah. that's a great. And what I feel like for every person who puts a lot of effort into going out or even just the, the bare minimum, mm. you are like, the hair has been curled. Like, <laughs> I hope this is good. You know, I you would never think, you know, finding plastic on the ground would take you to feeling the feels of, you know, like I've actually done something. This better be a good night kind of right. vibes. Right. Totally. Yeah. So good. Thank you for sharing. I super appreciate it. And we didn't even really get into talking about our favorite writers. So you'll have to just come back and we basically give people an hour of just shouting names. It would be <laughs> fun if we did a, a, an episode where we read our favorite things to e to each other. Um, yeah. I'll have to have you come back and we do like a show and tell episode. I love that. But before we sign off is there anything you wanted to add and where can people find you 
So people can find me on Instagram. My handle is Kate M. Divine. And then Mood Bar's handle is at Mood Bar. Moodbar.com is where you will find the digital platform. And KateMDivine.com is where you can find some of my published work. I also have a few upcoming workshops. I'm running another round of Notice, Wonder, Arrange, which is my six-week personal essay class, which Anna took, uh, the one that just finished up. (laughs) Highly recommend it. I really do. If you're interested, if personal essays do anything for you, if you you know, and I've had people ask me about it and like Rachel, who was in our last round and she's like, you know, had some of the like, I haven't taken a class feelings. Mm-hmm. Kate is the perfect teacher in that regard of like, Kate doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> there is no judgment. There's no hierarchy. Everyone has always been really lovely and supportive and helpful. And everybody's just really nerdy from what yeah. I've experienced and like sending each other other things or like you might be into this or, you know, I've gotten nice emails from people in class being like, hey, like what you shared remind me of this. You might want to look at it. And, you know, it's just a really supportive environment and Kate doesn't care if you do your homework or not but like you're gonna want to because she sends like really good pieces and gives really good prompts and also explains form which I think is intimidating so a lot of the things that I understand why people do fear going to a writing class if like you never have before or like that's just never been your world at all Kate Kate knows and so she's created classes that address that in a way, you know, that most of the people in class, I mean, there was a huge spread in our classes of people who had like published work versus who had like never taken a writing class. Like we had people at both ends of that, you know, so, and, and everybody showed up in the same way I felt like, you know, which is cool. It's so cool. And there's so much to learn from everyone. I've been really lucky at the people who take my class are just so great. And the chemistry that happens in in these rooms, even though we're virtual, we're on Zoom, the chemistry that happens in these communities is really, it's one of my favorite things. It's just, it's really, really nice. And yeah, my classes are um, definitely open to all kinds of writers. I I tend to attract people who, yeah, are just interested interested in meaning making, who are interested in nuance, who are interested in surprising themselves and kind of like going for the ride and seeing seeing what happens. So, um, so yeah, the next round of Notice Wonder Range is going to be in May. It's going to start in May, and I'll have the registration on my website. And then I'm also, because I have so many people who want to take class with me again, I'm starting what will be an ongoing writing workshop for people who have taken class with me before and want to keep getting the best of the community and the workshopping, but it's less uh, like instruction, no outside writing time or homework, but it's just a supportive environment to continue to work on the drafts that perhaps you started in class and you want to keep going with them. Maybe you want to finish them and publish them. I can help you with that. I can give you some guidance with that. And, but most of all, being in the group and having accountability and having support is everything. So, so yeah, check out my website to uh, see my workshops and read my essays and send me a note, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. If you're me to her, I will find you. Just saying. I feel very uh, supported. And <laughs> yeah. Don't be mean to Kate. Don't be mean. Um, no, I, I, I feel blessed that 
I came into podcasting, all these things a little bit like kind of worried about that because the internet's a weird place and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, it's very rare I have a negative interaction and I'm going to knock what is probably fake wood, but whatevs, that that's the way it stays. But everyone be very nice and gracious to Kate. If everyone's like, we weren't going to not be, my God. <laughs> Many people don't listen to How to Be Human. <laughs> it's right? true. I mean, I know. You know what? Probably, like, honestly, probably not. You know, like, yeah. mean people are, like, just thinking about ways to be mean, I guess. Um, <laughs> they're not thinking of ways to examine the human condition. But yeah, obviously, I go hard for Kate's class and highly recommend it. It has helped me tremendously as a writer, and it's given me valuable psychological insight. So, <laughs> That's so great. Yeah, you. you just can't beat it. But thank you so much for joining me today. I feel like you've been, you know, you've you've been um, like a side character on the pod. Like it makes me laugh that now you're you're finally a guest, and it's like this person who's been mentioned since the beginning in various episodes. Now, ta-da, she's here. You know, Hello, everyone. <laughs> thank you so much, Anna. This was a really fun conversation. These are my favorite kinds of conversations. So thank you for for facilitating it and having yeah. me. Happy to, happy to, because same, I, <laughs> you know, create a pod around it. All right. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Isn't Kate the best? Are you all going to run out and sign up for her class? I hope you do. I hope I see you in the Zoom, but I hope you did enjoy hearing her thoughts and process. And I am so thrilled and touched that she shared some of her writing with us today. That piece she had shared and discussed like some of her own process in class, but I hadn't heard the writing. So I really appreciate that she shared some of her work with us today. And I hope you enjoy the episode. That's all for this week. See y'all next week. Bye. That's all for today. If you're interested in submitting a topic, please go to anatonk.com and hit the contact button. Or you can email me at anatonk at gmail.com. If you're a fan of the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really does help. Are you ready to tell your own story on The Compulsive Storyteller? We're launching a new segment of guest storytelling, and we want to hear your stories. Email a voice recording to hello at thecompulsivestoryteller.com. I'll play selected stories on upcoming episodes. Try to be as clear as possible in your recording, and we reserve the right to lightly edit them for length and clarity. Leave your name or contact information in your voicemail or email, and let us know if you'd like the story to be anonymous. I can't wait to hear from you. The Compulsive Storyteller is now co-produced by Greg Lefebvre and Fadia Monserrat, who's also arranged the music and created the special effects. Emily Ramon does design, research, editing, and marketing. Peter Kakoma has made our theme music and for many seasons co-produced the show with me. If you enjoyed this week's episode, let us know. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Compulsive Storyteller, and we'd love to hear from you. This podcast is independently produced, so we really appreciate all your help and support. Share the show with your friends, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave a review. You can also check out our website, thecompulsivestoryteller.com, for more information. 
Thanks for listening, and if you didn't like this one, the next one will be another story.